Ladies and gentlemen, we know Christmas is coming, but before Christmas, the gathering of patriots requires your attendance. Tucker Carlson, Candace Owens, myself, Donald Trump Jr., Steve Bannon, Roseanne Barr. Yeah, that's right. Rob Schneider, James Lindsay, and so many more are going to be at this year's Turning Point America Fest. December 16th to 19th, 2023, Phoenix, Arizona. You are going to be there. Your presence is required. Go to AmFest.com and use promo code POSO. That's promo code POSO, AmFest.com. Secure your tickets now. Don't come crying to me when this thing is sold out like it does every single day year amfest.com promo code poso this is what happens when the fourth turning meets fifth generation warfare a commentator international social media sensation and former navy intelligence veteran this is human events with your host jack posobic deliver us from evil Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard today's special edition of Human Events. Uh, Last year, during the Christmas break, we conducted an interview with Roger Stone that has gone viral all year regarding the truth about the assassination of JFK. And there's another story that I've always wanted to do an episode with Roger about. Um, It's a story that actually involves him, believe it or not, as so many stories do. And this is a story that's perhaps even more central to what has happened to our government in the intervening years since that fateful day in Dealey Plaza, 1963, to today about the true control and the true nature of power of the United States federal government. And this is the story about the truth about Watergate. Roger Stone joins us now. Roger, how are you? Jack, great to be back with you. Well, you know, Roger, it's it's one of those things. They say uh, they say you you are the man cl- most closely associated with Nixon, who's still involved in American politics, and and yet Watergate has always been the story that seems just out of grasp for the American right. Why is that? Well, because I think uh, at the time we had a completely monolithic media, uh, three major television networks in those days, news magazines uh, like Time and Newsweek, Life, Look long gone, uh, they were extraordinarily powerful and dominant. Uh, And of course, uh, we had no national newspapers, but the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal were rising in their influence. And they all had one narrative. And it was uh, was the accepted narrative, uh, essentially invented by two reporters at the Washington Post, Bob Woodward uh, and Carl Bernstein. The problem, of course, is that over time, uh, that narrative has always stood uh, as the standard tale of Watergate. It's very rarely gotten any re-examination. Uh, and then the other reason is because John Dean, who really is the perp in all of this, as you will see, uh, has been extremely litigious. So anytime any scholar or author or journalist uh, put forward a book or, or a movie uh, or a documentary questioning his role or what really happened in Watergate, um, he would threaten to sue them, threaten to sue their publishers, and so on. So uh, there's a direct line, Jack, between the assassination of John F. Kennedy, uh, the removal of Richard Nixon in a 
silent coup as opposed to a bloody coup, as was the case with JFK, uh, the attempted removal of Ronald Reagan uh, over Iran-Contra, uh, and the uh, attempted removal of Donald Trump uh, in the Russian collusion hoax, uh, and then in two failed impeachments. Uh, the, we're talking about the same institutions, the people who killed Kennedy, the people who took down Nixon, the people who tried to take down Reagan, the people who tried to take down Trump. These are the same institutions. Uh, you can call them the military industrial complex. You can call them the deep state. Uh, but it is the concentration of unelected power, uh, bureaucrats uh, in our intelligence agencies, uh, in our Justice Department, uh, in the think tanks, uh, in the defense contractors. Uh, it's the permanent government in place. Uh, and Richard Nixon posed an existential threat to them in 1973 after winning the greatest single landslide in American political history. Uh, Nixon was threatening the power of the Central Intelligence Agency. He was threatening to reorganize the national security apparatus. Uh, and for that reason, uh, he had to be taken down. Uh, and uh, as, as we will outline here today, that's precisely what happened. It, it's very interesting that just in the last uh, uh, several days, uh, there's been a, a, a very good article at Politico, uh, and the presidency of Richard Nixon is beginning, finally, to get a re-examination. Generally speaking, when you say Nixon, people say, oh, he was a crook. Well, he wasn't a crook. He didn't steal anything, not a single penny. Uh, he was a politician, and he played politics the way politics was played. Uh, but he certainly did nothing that his predecessors didn't do, and he certainly did nothing that his successors did not and, do. And, and, and yet, for some reason, we, we've reexamined the JFK narrative to the point where I don't think anyone really believes the official JFK narrative anymore. There's Oliver Stone movies, there's documentaries, there's millions of talk shows and podcasts and books. And yet the Watergate story, uh, but for the, the yeoman efforts of, of Tucker Carlson and a few others, obviously yourself, has never really been struck down. So what I hope that we can do today with this special, and I expect it will go just as viral as the JFK one, is that we will begin to actually re-examine the story of Watergate and begin to get the ball rolling to fully re-examine what actually happened with all the president's men. As we continue our human event special. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the best ways that you can support us here at Human Events and the work that we do is subscribing to us on our Rumble channel. Make sure you're subscribed, you hit the notifications so you'll never miss a clip, you'll never miss a new live episode, and we're putting them out every single day of the week. And we're back. Human Events special, the truth about Watergate. So, Roger, we're told Watergate is this tale of uh, Richard Nixon orders his committee staff, the, the Committee to Reelect the President, Creep, um, to conduct a series of burglaries of the DNC offices. Uh, we're not exactly told why they were conducting these series of burglaries, but we're told that they do this. Uh, we're then told that because they get caught, this starts a huge um, cover-up situation. And, of course, famously, infamously, 
these tapes within the Oval Office are found where the president is ordering the cover up and the president, Nixon himself, uh, is, is caught red handed on these tapes, ordering the cover up, ordering the burglary. This is what takes him down. This is what leads to and of course, stunning uh, impeachment inquiries are opened up. Nixon leaves the presidency and we're told that this is the entire story. Um, tied up with a bow, and it's all thanks to the intrepid journalism of Woodward and Bernstein and uh, all of the movies and TV shows uh, then are made of them. Uh, the journalists themselves go on to become mainstays on media, mainstream media, for really the rest of their, con their careers continuing to today, even to the point where they always sort of roll Bernstein out to say, this is worse than Watergate, this is worse than Watergate, with every, every latest fake Trump scandal. And it's kind of gotten to the point where people say, well, if, if he's so wrong about everything that's going on in the Trump administration, and we can see that he's so, been so wrong about all of these Trump uh, scandals and Trump hoaxes, went all in on the Russiagate hoax, then of course it beggars the question, was he also just as wrong about Watergate? And then for me, I think that when I first, you know, they call it, what was your red pill moment, um, as the kids say, they say, what was your first moment? And I said, the first moment was when I realized that Mark felt the deep throat was actually one of the top officials for the Federal Bureau of Investigation. I said, wait a minute, this isn't a whistleblower. This is an FBI release going to the media in the same type of operation as Operation Mockingbird. Something's not sitting right here. Roger, what's wrong with that story? Well, you're right, Jack. That is the official narrative. There's only one minor problem. Uh, it's bullshit. Uh, look, Richard Nixon had no reason to break into the Watergate. He was leading in the polls in 49 states. He carried 49 to 50 states in the greatest landslide in American political history. Anyone with any experience in national politics, and Nixon at that point had been on uh, four national tickets, knew that there was nothing of any value at the Democratic National Committee to obtain. That to the extent that there was any action, it would have been over at George McGovern, the Democratic candidate's headquarters. So we're still lacking the motive. But the key figure in Watergate, you see him on CN all the time, is John Dean. John Dean was the White House counsel. Now, uh, the the mainstream media would say that he was a, a brave hero, that he was a whistleblower. All of that is nonsense. John Dean is the man who planned, pushed, uh, executed, and then covered up the Watergate break-in. He did so uh, because he wanted to obtain records from a call girl ring uh, that was being utilized by the Democratic National Committee. His interest in that was very simple. One of the women who had worked for this call girl ring, who was depicted in a portfolio of photographs, happened to be his wife. An excellent book by Phil Stanford called uh, White House Call Girl uh, that documents uh, all of this. So uh, it was Dean who pushed the, uh, the entire Watergate break-in. Uh, it is Dean who lied to Nixon for 19 months. Uh, Dean told Nixon repeatedly that no one inside the White House was aware of the break-in adv in advance or had received the fruits uh, of the 
wiretaps that had been placed in the Watergate, which, by the way, never actually functioned anyway. Uh, we also know now, only because of recently declassified documents, that the Central Intelligence Agency was well aware uh, of the misguided plan uh, pushed by John Dean, but run by a man named G. Gordon Liddy, uh, to break into the Watergate. Uh, Eugenio Martinez, who's still living, who I interviewed for my book on Watergate, uh, he is in his 90s, lives in Miami, he uh, had the key to the desk drawer where the portfolio of the women uh, who had worked in this coal gold ring was kept. He attempted to swallow the key uh, when the men were arrested, and that was prevented. Which so, was, of course, by the way, in, in, in the one you know, sort of uh, mainstream movie about this. We're, we're told the, the, they were tipped off by the phone call from one Forrest Gump. Um, so what, you're, what we're saying is that when they, so everyone remembers that scene in Forrest Gump, but, but the way to look at it is that they're not going there on the orders of Nixon. They're going there on the orders of Dean because he's worried about, and, and, and break this down for me a little bit here. There's a call girl ring that's operating out of this, well, they're operating out of a hotel nearby, but there's a list of the girls. His girlfriend, later wife, is one of the girls on that. What you're talking about sounds like a blackmail operation. And that's precisely why he wants that information uh, and why he pushes uh, the Watergate break-in. Uh, if you go to Bob Haldeman's book and also his diary, Nixon is surprised when he learns about the break-in. He's in Key Biscayne, he reads it in the newspaper, and he says, what the hell is this? Who would break into the Watergate and why? There's no evidence whatsoever that Nixon knew in advance about or ever approved the Watergate break-in. Again, there's no reason for him to do so. There's no motive for him to do so. There is no information kept uh, at the Democratic National Committee that would be of great interest. So uh, he, he is shocked. Now, the, the extent that John Dean has gone to to hide his role is really quite incredible. He publishes a book uh, several years ago called The Nixon Defense, which he claims is the only existing definitive trans, uh, uh, trans, transcription of all of the Watergate tapes. But he very conveniently leaves out the tapes of March 13th 16th and 17th of 1973. Why would he just leave these out of his book as if they didn't exist? That's because when you examine them, they prove that it was John Dean who was pushing the Watergate break-in and Don, John Dean who was coaching his client, Richard Nixon, to perjure himself uh, and to engage uh, in the cover-up. Then, uh, interestingly enough, uh, a, a, a very celebrated left-wing professor named Stanley Cutler actually uh, produces a book, but then he reverses the order uh, of these uh, transcriptions to to enhance uh, the view of Dean as some kind of whistleblower or hero. Uh, he, he gets uh, nailed uh, pretty quickly uh, on that, uh, that effort. The point, of course, is that the CIA not only knows about this, Jack, but they infiltrate the Watergate burglar team, and four of the eight Watergate burglars are still on the payroll of the Central Intelligence Agency. And now this this piece of the break-in. This piece, I, I want to double stomp this. I want to foot stomp it. I want to bookmark this. Everyone needs to hear this piece of this. Four of the eight burglars at the Watergate Hotel 
were still on the payroll of the Central Intelligence Agency. In fact, at least two of them that we now know of also participated in the Bay of Pigs operation. Roger, when you're talking about a CIA call girl blackmail operation, the fact that the CIA is taking notice of this, I, I just have to say, this is starting to sound like a CIA operation. Well, the Central Intelligence Agency has a great motive in the takedown of Nixon. That's because Nixon is fully aware of the CIA's involvement uh, in the murder of John Kennedy. Beginning in January of 1969, when he first takes office, Nixon begins, begins demanding all of the Central Intelligence Agency records on the JFK hit. Uh, and CIA Director Richard Helms refuses to turn them over to White House Counsel John Ehrlichman. This uh, infuriates Nixon uh, because he knows what they're covering up. Uh, there is, as we now know, a very famous tape just at the beginning of the Watergate scandal, uh, where Nixon is uh, meeting with Richard Helms, the CIA director, uh, in his office, uh, and he basically tells Helms what he knows. Now, it's an attempt uh, by Nixon to try to get the assistance of the CIA to fend off the wolves coming after him in Watergate. He basically says to Helms, look, uh, there's been a lot of dirty business over there, things that needed to be done. He's alluding to the CIA's role in Guatemala and the coup there. Uh, and uh, God knows I've helped you cover up a lot of things, but let's just say I know who shot John. There it is in plain sight. Now, until I wrote that for Substack, uh, after after finding the actual recording uh, and, and it being broadcasted by Tucker Carlson, no one has ever focused on this. Nixon knew the Central Intelligence Agency's deepest secret. So the connection to the Central Intelligence Agency and the Kennedy assassination is absolutely clear. But it's also why Gerald Ford uh, was chosen to succeed Nixon. Uh, Nixon was cornered. Uh, the national media had so turned on him uh, that he went within a year and a half of being the most popular president in American history to be a, a reviled villain. Uh, Barry Goldwater and Senator Hugh Scott came to him and said, look, uh, the articles of impeachment are being uh, have been passed in the House. You don't have the votes to survive in the Senate. Your best bet is to survive. Now, folks won't remember this, but Vice President Spiro Agnew uh, was also an outsider uh, hated by the establishment, uh, had gotten caught in a really venal corruption scandal uh, and had been forced to resign uh, in return for not going to prison. Uh, and therefore, Nixon was in the position of having to choose appoint a new vice president subject to the uh, confirmation of the U.S. Senate. Uh, and of all people, he chose Gerald Ford, uh, who was the House Minority Leader. When I asked uh, Alexander Haig, who was Nixon's White House Chief of Staff, why he had taken Ford rather than, say, Barry Goldwater or Nelson Rockefeller or several others uh, who were more logical, uh, Haig said, look, Nixon had Ford by the balls. Nixon knew that uh, in the Warren Commission, as a member of the Warren Commission, Gerald Ford 
had gone in at the request of FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover uh, and with a pencil changed the formal autopsy diagram of JFK, moving the depiction of the wound in Kennedy's upper back to the base of his neck, uh, a rear, the rear of the base of his neck, uh, to fit the cockamamie single bullet theory. So Nixon realized that he had this leverage on Ford. Uh, Agnew, he used to joke, was his life insurance policy. Hell, they'll never impeach me if, if, they, if they think Agnew is going to become president. But Agnew was gone. And they get rid of Agnew. Roger, we're coming up on a quick break. You're walking through some of the darkest secrets of the government, the darkest secrets of the deep state, the darkest secrets, in fact, of the mainstream media. Stay tuned. We've got more coming up next. Human Events Special, The Truth About Watergate. And we're back, Human Events Special Edition, The Truth About Watergate. The break-in of Watergate sent by agents of the CIA, who, by the way, later admit this it publicly after they've, they've served their time, after the investigations have been done, break into the Watergate Hotel, not for political purposes, but to find the list of names of a call girl ring that's been operating nearby and in the area, and the list specifically of their clients that is in one of the desks of the offices there. Then, at the same time, when in the fallout of this, uh, Spiro Agnew is replaced by Gerald Ford as the vice president. But, but Roger, before we go into to pick up the story of Ford, I want to ask you this. When I hear this situation, a CIA blackmail ring of, of girls, call girls, prostitutes, and specifically not just the names of the girls, but the names of the clients, I have to say that this sounds awfully reminiscent of a certain man who had a similar operation down in the Caribbean, uh, who is also no longer with us, who's named Jeffrey Epstein. Because while we can seem to find evidence of Epstein, evidence of his lieutenants like Ghislaine Maxwell, evidence of the girls' names who have come out publicly, I say this is the first time there has been a sex ring where we can find no clients of the ring itself. And the tapes and the black book all seem to disappear. Why does this seem so similar to me, Roger? Well, I think it's important to recognize uh, that the call girl ring in question, run by a woman named Heidi Riken, is not only providing uh, girls for Democratic dignitaries when they visit town, as booked through the Democratic National Committee. They're also providing girls for the State Department, for the Republican National Committee. Uh, and the little black book of Heidi Riken is actually published in Phil Stanford's book. Has some very interesting people in it. For example, uh, Senator Lowell Weicker, uh, Nixon's leading critic uh, in the Watergate investigation, member of the Watergate Senate Committee. Um, you can see why he wouldn't want those records to come out. Or Sam Dash, the chief counsel to the Senate Watergate Committee. Why, why would his name uh, be in uh, Heidi Riken's book? Or for that matter, why would John Dean, his name's in the book, although he has a code name, which is Clout. Hmm, interesting. So uh, the real purpose uh, of the Watergate break-in is to obtain uh, particularly the portfolio of girls uh, who are available, 
which I contend, as does Stanford, includes Dean's uh, wife, Maureen Dean. Uh, in her own book, she actually has a picture of her husband and herself and Heidi Reichen, the woman who ran this call girl ring. So uh, to, to kind of fast forward, I think that covers the motive. We've also covered the CIA's involvement uh, and advanced knowledge. A White House, uh, pardon me, a Watergate prosecutor named Nick Ackerman, who appears regularly now on MSNBC, by the way, he's called me a Russian spy and worse. Uh, we now have from declassified documents absolute proof that he knew of the CIA's involvement uh, and knowledge of Watergate, uh, but he did nothing about it. Uh, the chairman uh, of uh, the committee, uh, uh, Sam Irvin of, of uh, North Carolina, wouldn't even allow a minority report to be published. That's because Senator Howard Baker, the ranking Republican on the committee, uh, and his counsel, Fred Thompson, later a U.S. senator from Tennessee himself, knew of the Central Intelligence Agency's knowledge and involvement in the break-in, and therefore the larger picture. The reason Nixon takes Ford is because he knows that he has the goods on Ford, because he knows what Ford did as a member of the Warren Commission, helping cover up the murder of John F. Kennedy, and he uses that information uh, to get a pardon from Gerald Ford. Uh, General Alexander Haig, later Nixon's White House Chief of Staff, is the one who brokers uh, that pardon, letting Jerry Ford know that if, well, if Nixon's going down, he says, he's taking everybody with him. Uh, Ford got the message loud and clear. Uh, you're absolutely right about the fact that uh, E. Howard Hunt, uh, the famous Watergate burglar, who was also just coincidentally on the ground in Dealey Plaza on November 22nd, 1963, says on his deathbed to his son, St. John Hunt, who I co-authored a book, The Bush Crime Family, with, uh, that uh, it was a CIA uh, operation that killed John Kennedy, but that Lyndon Baines Johnson uh, was running the show his exact words. He referred to it as the big event. So Nixon had to be removed for the same reason that they tried to remove uh, uh, Donald Trump. Uh, he posed an existential threat to the permanent uh, uniparty uh, deep state apparatus running the country and seeking to run the globe. Now, President uh, Trump has asked me uh, several times about Nixon and Watergate. Uh, Nixon and Trump famously met in George Steinbrenner, the owner of the New York Yankees box uh, at Yankee Stadium. Uh, Nixon came away extraordinarily impressed. He called me the next day and he said, well, I met your man Trump. And let me tell you, if he gets into politics, this guy could go all the way. And I said, well, sir, are you saying he should run for governor of New York? No, no, he said, I think he can go all the way. And there is, as you know, Jack, a famous letter uh, that Nixon handwrites to, to uh, Donald Trump the day after meeting him, telling him that Nixon and Mrs. Nixon both agree that Trump has what it takes if he ever decides to get into the political arena. But the question that Trump has specifically posed to me, Jack, is uh, why did Nixon throw in the towel? Why did he quit? Why didn't he fight it out? That is, after all, not very Trumpian. The answer is because there was no internet. There was no social media. There were no alternative news outlets. We were stuck with one narrative, their narrative. 
In fact, when Nixon has a press conference and he specifically says, look, the people have a right to know whether their president is a crook. Well, I am not a crook. Uh, that gets turned on him with a vengeance. Yet there's no evidence whatsoever that unlike Lyndon Johnson, who made millions and millions of dollars through his stock holdings uh, in the war in Vietnam and its escalation done at his direction, Richard Nixon never earned an, a dishonest penny in his life. He leaves Washington dirt broke. Actually, he leaves town deep in debt to his uh, lawyers. He's the only former president who will not take a penny after leaving the presidency, will not serve on any boards, will not give any paid speeches, will take no honorariums. He basically uh, regains his financial health uh, by writing a series of uh, New York Times bestselling books on foreign policy. Uh, and he reinvents himself as a sage uh, advisor to every post-Nixonian president uh, until his death, uh, visiting the Soviet Union and China and advising Bill Clinton, uh, George Bush, uh, and so on. This is an incredible tale, Roger, because I think for all these years, and by the way, and, and, and I'll ask a little bit of this in the next segment, this is the same story that you've stuck to since the early 1970s when all of this began. It's just only now that because of the intervening years, the intervening efforts, and really the, the pushback has gone so far Right. The 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 powers that be have gone so far. The mainstream media has gone so far. And we now have the ability, as you say, to disintermediate the narratives. We can disintermediate the big three papers and the big three channels that used to control the mono narrative within the United States and within the West. And we have the ability to simply share this true information. And if you can take one thing out of this, just one thing is all you need is the fact that four of the eight Watergate burglars were on the current payroll of the Central Intelligence Agency when they conducted that break-in. And if you hadn't heard that information, you need to put it all the way forward. Oliver Stone, if you're listening, I think that Stone and Stone, Roger Stone, have a movie that you could potentially put together. I don't know if Kevin Costner is still involved, but maybe we can find someone to play your prosecutor. We have the ability now to go back to disintermediate these narratives and find out the truth about the wool that's been pulled over the eyes of people like Woodward and Bernstein at the Washington Post, people who never should have been given those positions to begin with. Stay tuned, coming up more with Roger Stone. We are back here sitting with Roger Stone. He's telling us the full story of the truth behind Watergate. Now, Roger, I want I want to walk through a little bit, and and I, I teased a bit at the beginning of this that you know for you this isn't just a story that you've you've read about or that you've watched on TV. You were actually there. So can you put us in the sort of the 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 desk? Put us in the office, the committee to reelect the president. You're there. This is all happening around you. You're you and you're kind of just getting started in politics. And, and suddenly all of this is thrown at you and the entire media is lying. What was that like? Uh, it was horrific. I was 19 years old. I was the youngest member of the staff of the committee to reelect the president. Uh, my boss, a guy named Bart Porter, uh, was uh, involved in the cover-up. He worked for Jeb Stewart Magruder. It's kind of funny. The weekend of the break-in, I was house-sitting 
uh, because Porter was in California with the rest of the Nixon staff, and he had dogs. So he had a very nice uh, house uh, in the Spring Valley area uh, of uh, D.C. Uh, and uh, I would say after midnight, the phone rang, and I picked it up, uh, and it said, uh, this is Gordon Liddy. Uh, let me talk to Porter. I said, I'm sorry, Mr. Porter is out of town for the weekend. Uh, and Liddy uh, used the F-bomb and hung up. Uh, about 20 minutes later, the phone rang again. Uh, it was James McCord, one of the other Watergate burglars, uh, who said, uh, this is James McCord. I'm calling for Herbert Bart Porter. I said, I'm sorry, Mr. Porter is out of town. He said, out of town. I said, yes, sir. Can I take a message? He said, yeah. Tell him McCord called. Tell him I said the jig is up. Uh, so uh, that's why when I saw the next day a man named Van Shumway, spokesman for the committee to reelect the president, hold a press conference and say no one at the committee to reelect the president had any knowledge of the Watergate break-in, I knew that that was not true. Uh, but you mentioned Bob Woodward uh, and his role in this. You see, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein were the two reporters at the uh, Washington Post who kind of broke this story. Woodward has gone to great lengths to hide the fact that he was uh, a veteran of naval intelligence and his job in naval intelligence was briefing none other than White House Chief of Staff uh, Al Haig uh, and uh, Admiral Thomas Moorer, who was the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. Moorer, by the way, before his death, confirmed that for me. It's in I think both of the books that I have written uh, on uh, Watergate and Richard Nixon. So um, uh, this whole idea that Mark Felt, uh, the deputy director of the FBI, Mark Felt is not Deep Throat. Deep Throat is actually General Alexander Haig. There's a couple of reasons why Felt comes forward. First of all, by the time Felt self-identifies uh, as Deep Throat, he's had, had a stroke and he can no longer speak. So his daughter is speaking for him. He's also indigent, and a lot of good, lucrative, journalistic uh, opportunities come his way. Uh, the reason that Woodward and Bernstein, who know that Mark Felt is not deep throat, embrace this falsehood is because it was getting pretty hot. Too many people were putting together the pieces uh, and realized that Mark Felt had actually left the FBI uh, and would never have been in a position to know the information that Deep Throat, as a source, allegedly gave the two Washington Post reporters about Watergate. But here's the other thing, Jack. Their famous book, All the President's Men, no mention of Deep Throat. The movie starring Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman uh, as Woodward and Bernstein, no mention of Deep Throat there either. So Deep Throat only comes up later as kind of a catch-all. I think Deep Throat is actually a composite of a number of sources uh, who want Nixon to be taken down. But there's a great book called Haig's Coup by Ray Locker uh, of USA Today that makes an overwhelming case that General Alexander Haig, who had become Nixon's chief of staff after he was forced to fire Bob Haldeman because of his involvement in Watergate uh, is deep throat. Woodward goes to the extent of getting Locker fired from his job at USA Today simply because he's written this great book. Uh, for anyone who doubts that General Haig is deep throat, uh, they should check that book out. 
And two of the other books that I've gone through in, in really understanding this, and these are not new books. These are books that have been out for a long time. It's just that so many people have refused to just go and, and do the work of looking at them. And, and these are well-researched, uh, full of FOIA documents, full of direct interviews, secret agenda, and you mentioned the one already, Silent Coup. And in those books, they do the work. And even the, the first one there, Secret Agenda by Jim Haugen, um, was only written in 1984, so just a few years after the events itself, and he really begins to start to wind back the narrative and dispel some of these myths. Silent Coup goes even further to specifically lay out, I believe, 1991, uh, these, essentially the narrative that we are saying now, that this was not a cover-up of a break-in uh, conducted by Nixon. This was a coup of Nixon by the CIA, what we would now call the deep state, to get him out of office. Yeah, but it's interesting that both Haugen, uh, who wrote a great book, uh, and uh, uh, also Len Kolodny, who passed away recently, uh, was a great source for my books and a great uh, uh, protagonist uh, to John Dean, underwent years and years and years of litigation in which Dean sought to silence them. The other great book, written by James Rosen, uh, now at Newsmax, formerly with Fox, a great reporter, uh, The Strong Man, a biography of John Mitchell, uh, who I worked for as a deputy uh, in the 1968 campaign, uh, more of a gopher, but a, 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 an assistant, uh, is uh, another guy who faced enormous litigation challenges uh, from Dean. Uh, the, that book is a masterpiece, The Strong Man uh, by James Rosen. I have besieged Rosen to put it back out in paperback. It's that good. Uh, unfortunately, although uh, Rosen never flinched, I think his publisher did flinch. and They never gave the book the kind of promotion that it deserves. It is one of the greatest political biographies uh, I've ever read, but it is also a very good, clean delineation about the truth about Watergate. John Mitchell, who was Attorney General of the United States, Nixon's former law partner, would go to prison uh, over Watergate, but would maintain to his dying day that he never approved uh, the Watergate break-in. I believe that he was right. Uh, the Watergate break-in was approved by Jeb Stuart Magruder uh, under the remorseless prodding of John W. Dean, who now you can see on CNN regularly uh, with this uh, extraordinary uh, criticism of Trump. Uh, before that, it was the Bushes. Everything's worse than Watergate. Never forget, John Dean was disbarred for his activities. Uh, the Watergate special prosecutors found enormous discrepancies between Dean's testimony to the prosecutors and his testimony uh, to the uh, to the Senate. Watergate Committee, uh, and uh, a number of discrepancies in his book, Blind Ambition, uh, which he later tries to go back and blame on Taylor Branch, the, the Pulitzer Prize author who, co uh, who ghost wrote that book. And by the way, Roger, and I, I even pulled up some of the, the reporting uh, that Rosen had done just before the interview here. And and Dean at, at one of these defamation trials, that, by the way, the defamation suit, which he launches, he then later in deposition uh, repudiates his own book. We said that he first he claims he didn't write his book. <laughs> then it's over, he claims he didn't even read his book. <laughs> well, that I might believe. You will see this guy uh, on CNN. They tried him every 
time they need him out, every time they need somebody to say whatever has just transpired is worse than Watergate. Well, let's let's take that for a moment because I think it's a key point. In Watergate, a group of misguided private citizens decide uh, for political reasons, pro- led on by John Dean, to break into the Watergate. They make a hash of it. Uh, they have to go in twice. James McCord, who is still on the payroll of the CIA, mysteriously disappears for hours at a time during the breakout period. Not very clear where he was. He's the one who ultimately writes to the Watergate burglar's judge, John Sirica, uh, telling him that there's been a cover-up. Uh, we also know, based on a book written by Jeff Shepard, uh, that Judge John Sirica, who's the great hero of Watergate, the guy who put so much pressure on the Watergate burglars that he broke the scandal wide open, he was meeting illegally with the Watergate prosecutors repeatedly, ex parte, uh, without knowledge of the Watergate burglars' defendant lawyers. He would have been disbarred and removed from the judiciary uh, if that was known at the time. So, uh, Roger, uh, quick, quick break. Pin in there for one second. We'll be right back. Roger Stone extolling us with the story. Roger, we're back. Let's pick up exactly where you were. Uh, So uh, in in any event, uh, uh, I'm glad to see, finally, the presidency of Richard Nixon getting a reexamination. This is a president who reached a strategic arms limitation with the Soviets, the president who ended the war in Vietnam, the president who ended the uh, military draft, the president who gave us the 18-year-old vote the candidate who launched the war on cancer, uh, the candidate who unilaterally, over the objections of sec- uh, National Security Advisor Henry Kissinger uh, and the Joint Chiefs of Staff, makes the decision to airlift $36 million worth of lethal aid to Israel uh, during the 1973 Yom Kippur War, universally recognized as having saved Israel from total annihilation. Uh, This is the the same president who very cleverly decides to snatch China away from Russia uh, at a time that China is a dirt poor, completely non-technical, agrarian, backward society. So those who say, oh, China is our great adversary today, it's Nixon's fault. No, Nixon had no way of knowing uh, that later, 30 years later, uh, the Bushes and the Clintons would give China most favored nation trading status, and Bill Clinton would actually sell them our top military missile targeting secrets uh, through a company called Loral in return for illegal campaign contributions. So uh, Nixon basically plays the Chinese and the Russians off against each other. Although they're both communist nations, they have a deep distrust of each other and a long common border. Uh, It was genius at the time it was done. There was no way to see uh, that China would rise uh, thanks to the uh, bad decisions of uh, both uh, Bush uh, and Clinton. So Nixon is beginning, I think, finally. Also, by the way, I should mention, desegregates the public schools, uh, appoints more African-Americans to federal office than LBJ and JFK combined, uh, begins the Office of Minority Enterprise, Uh, really is the founder of the concept of black capitalism because a rising tide lifts all boats. Uh, A a truly great president, uh, uh, in retrospect, finally getting a re-examination of his actual record, whereas 
prior today when people said Nixon, they people would simply say, oh, Watergate, he's a crook, uh, and dismiss him. So uh, Vivek Ramaswamy uh, has been very articulate on this subject, that Nixon's accomplishments as president need to be reexamined. Uh, but the precursor for that, Jack, has to be a reexamination of Watergate. It is a silent coup by the same exact people who tried to take Donald Trump down in the Russian collusion hoax uh, and in the two fake impeachments. This is something that's a very important for us as we go forward into the 2024 election, Roger, because I, I think more and more, and, and, and look, I was on a, a, a X spaces with you know, no less than Alex Jones to my right and, and Elon Musk to my left. I'm not saying that politically speaking. I'm just saying we're all there. And we're having this discussion about these very same forces, Roger, these very same forces that seek to throw us into war. They seek to put us into war with Russia the same way they wanted war with Russia, that Nixon was a backstop against throughout the entire Cold War. And they are back at it again. But now we potentially have the ability to put a populist nationalist in office who understands the power of national sovereignty, understands the correct use of American power on the international stage. And Roger, it is those very same forces that pushed out Nixon in Watergate, that uh, took out JFK through other means that are now allied against Trump. That's exactly right. And uh, as I said earlier, Nixon could not have survived in 1973, largely because there was no alternative news platform that is today the Internet. So there was no platform for which he could successfully launch a counterattack. Trump could never have been elected in 2016 without uh, a vibrant uh, and wide open, fair, free Internet. Uh, that's well, I will I will say that 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 human events had just gotten started, but they weren't quite big enough yet. We're trying to rectify that now. Well, actually, if you look, go back and look at it, <laughs> Human Events was one of the few uh, national outlets that defended Nixon throughout Watergate. And we were uh, proud to but, do so still. But, but it was, but it was a, you know, it was, a, it was a conventional newspaper. There was no internet. Those who recognize uh, what, that the legalization and the establishment of the internet led to the election of Trump have been trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube ever since. That's why we've seen this war of censorship. First, they did it through the social media programs, having the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI work directly with executives at Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Google, and elsewhere uh, to silence people like you and I and Alex Jones and many, many others. Uh, but now that Elon, who I think is a great hero uh, and a man who's really changed the course of history, uh, has exposed all of that. What do they do? They move above the social media companies uh, to attempt through the FCC to control the Internet at its source. So the Biden administration has put forward regulations uh, that would allow them to censor in the name of equity uh, at, at the source of the Internet. So Jack, this is the very reason they want to turn this off. They want to take us down. Roger Stone, an, an incredible story, an incredible tale, the truth. And by the way, I would also say the fact that you have lived in politics in this political life for so long and survived everything they have thrown at you is just 
proving the age-old saying that the only reason that Roger has survived this long is because, as they say, you cannot get blood from a stone. A man is not finished uh, when he's defeated. He's only finished when he quits. Amen. Roger, where can people go to follow you to get your book on this and all the latest updates? Uh, please go to stonezone.com, stonezone.com. You can see my daily show on Rumble, which is at rumble.com slash Roger Stone, or go to Stone Zone. You can see it there. You can also go to the shop and get my book on the Kennedy assassination or my book, Stone's Rules, with an introduction by my friend Tucker Carlson or your very own Roger Stone did nothing wrong t-shirt. But uh, Jack, thanks for having me. And thanks for giving me the opportunity to correct the historical record of what really happened in Watergate. Well, Roger, Oliver Wilde once said, it is the goal and the duty of truth tellers to rewrite history. And that is what we are doing, rewriting false history with the truth about Watergate. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, you have my permission to lay ashore.